Good day and welcome to the Race to the White House, where we bring you the latest news, politics and policy from the US election campaign trail. I'm Anthony Dockwell and we have just under seven days until we find out who will be the 45th President of the United States of America. A fun bit of trivia to start the show, if you've been finding it hard to follow the American election, it may be because this is an election between a Democratic candidate who once campaigned on behalf of the Republican presidential nominee, Barry Goldwater, and a Republican candidate who spent the Bush years, 2001 and 2008, as a registered Democrat. Joining us now to guide us through the maze of American politics is Tom Switzer. Hi, Tom. G'day, Anthony. Great to be here. Tom is a senior fellow at the United States Study Centre at the University of Sydney, where he's taught undergraduate courses in US-American relations, American history and politics. And joining us is Brendan O'Connor. Hi, Brendan. Good to be with you both. Brendan is an associate professor at the United States Study Centre, where he has taught courses on American domestic politics, foreign affairs, and is an expert in anti-Americanism, neoconservatism, the Iraq war, and presidential politics. It's been a rocky few days for Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail. The email saga that has dogged her through the primary race with Bernie Sanders and much of the presidential campaign resurfaced on Friday. FBI Director James Comey announced that the FBI had restarted their email investigation after emails from Hillary Clinton were found in a separate investigation into disgraced Democrat Anthony Weiner. How damaging for Hillary Clinton is the re-emergence of the email scandal at this point of the election campaign? Tom. Well, bear in mind, it's been five days now since the uh, FBI announced its decision to reopen the investigation, and we've had enough opinion polls to indicate that the race has clearly tightened. Uh, The Washington Post-ABC poll earlier this week showed that something like 34% of American voters are now less likely to vote for Hillary Clinton on the back of the uh, FBI's uh, announcement, which is quite extraordinary, 34%. Mm. And meanwhile, uh, that and other polls are showing that the race is almost neck and neck. And this is a far cry from where we were a week or two weeks ago, where Hillary Clinton had close to double-digit leads. Extraordinary. Well, the big question is, what was the timing of the FBI investigation? Is it justified? Um, that will be argued, I, I suppose, a lot more if it does seemingly tip the election to Trump. Um, it is probably an invidious situation for the head of the FBI, but there are questions about whether it will be deemed political interference. Um, Anthony Weiner is the, the strange husband of Huma Aberdeen, who's a very close advisor to Hillary Clinton. She goes back to advising Clinton uh, for a long time and was um, an intern in 1996 in the White House where uh, interning was a dangerous <laughs> thing. Um, and she's had all sorts of connections with Hillary Clinton. She was a deputy chief of staff uh, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, she's worked and consulted for the Clinton Foundation. So it brings up a whole range of murky connections and the st- basically technical procedural arguments about uh, were you know emails that were classified um, treated incorrectly was having a, her own server in the case of Secretary of State Clinton, um, you know, well outside of government policy and she should never have been allowed to do that. I always thought that the email scandal could have been dealt with uh, by the Clinton campaign 
as a technical set of debates which they could lawyer their way through and they could make an argument to say, look, it was uh, it was poor judgment, but really there's no smoking gun here. So I think that's that's the remaining question which the Democrats will want to get out in the next week is, look, this is a bad look, but we didn't do anything um, illegal or corrupt. Now, the Hillary campaign has gone on the attack, accusing the FBI of trying to tip the election result. Uh, do you think this is... Uh a good strategy? Well, you know, I think they're obviously desperate and they're crying foul, but they're trying to have it both ways. I mean, whenever Hillary Clinton was asked about the email controversy during those debates, those presidential debates, mm. uh, she would often cite the probity of the FBI director, James Comey. And now, of course, James Car- Comey is the, is the reincarnation of Kenneth Starr, the, the, the prosecutor of the Clinton administration during the mid to late 1990s. So there is a sort of a double-edged position here on the part of the, the Democrats. The other point to bear in mind is that, in a way, Comey's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't, because if he held off on reopening the investigation until after the election, the Trump people would say, oh, quite obviously, that uh, uh, this was very unfair and they were, they were interfering uh, in, in the election process to help uh, rig the election, you know? I think there's a couple of things, though, going on here. I mean, there's procedures that the FBI have that say they cannot interfere with an election a month out, and that's why they haven't talked about uh, concerns about Trump having connections with the Russians that they've been investigating. And some many people have argued that therefore they shouldn't have come forward with this allegation, which is just to say emails exist. It's not to say anything about the content yes. of those emails. And the other the other the other point is it's a lot about the reputation of the FBI that's going on here. James Comey is very concerned that a lot of people internally have thought he went a bit too soft on Hillary Clinton in that original decision, and this is a way of shoring up the reputation of the FBI as much as anything else. I think this yep. is an, an internal sort of struggle within the FBI, about the FBI's reputation more than it's really uh, being that concerned about what the political impact Brennan's be. right. It's an October surprise without anyone knowing really what the, the surprise is. <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, Comey did testify before a congressional committee shortly after he exonerated Hillary Clinton in July. And he was asked specifically that if any new uh, evidence emerged or emails emerged that were pertinent to the case, would he reopen the case? And his response indicated that he would have to do that. Which which suggests it was extremely sloppy of Huma Aberdeen to have these emails there because she has testified that there were no emails on her private computers. So this, I think, gives some grounds uh to reinvestigate whether the timing, um, you know, is just too dramatic. When people hear the words FBI investigation into Hillary Clinton, um, you know, uh, ju- conclusions can quickly be jumped to where nothing might come of this. This mean no, no new emails that haven't been seen before might be there. So it might be a complete sort of red herring in some ways. Can, can, can Comey and the FBI um, uh, make more information public? They're trying. I mean, they're working very quickly through the emails at the moment. So I suppose it would be, um, I think, fair for them to come out and say, look, there's a few new emails that we haven't seen that we'll investigate in the future, or there's nothing there. If they comb through them, 
um, you know, what a day or two before the election they announced, look, <laughs> nothing's new. Um, this, you know, the impact of this will be incredibly mm. difficult to judge. Mm, but mm. they're working hard on it from everything I've read that the FBI have got a whole bunch of people. But finishing the probe in a week it. is surely unlikely. They've, you know, they, why not? They should put maximum resources onto it because their credibility is on mm. the line. If nothing is found, this guy's will go down as making a fool of himself. Although, then again, if something is found, then that will look really poor on the hill. We just don't know, do we? Yeah. But it's something like 60,000 emails. Um, they, they, they do a lot of this with uh, probably data analysis software, I imagine. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're going through them pretty rapidly. Look, on a narrative level, this not only plays into Trump's crooked Hillary line, but also the feeling that many voters have that Clinton has something to hide. Do the Clintons and Hillary in particular have a problem with the perception of sneakiness? Entirely. I mean, this is uh, the nature of modern politics, um, no one in the future is going to want all of their emails revealed. Um, people are going to want to have things which are private conversations and public conversations. Uh, those who do archival research are constantly annoyed at how much uh, historical material is wiped by previous administrations. The Bush uh, Jr. administration uh, got rid of an enormous amount of information that would have been fascinating to understand about the Iraq War and many other things. Obama has a, had had a very high level of secrecy. So the idea that we can get into the conversations that occur uh, once used to occur maybe on the phone or face-to-face -face, that now occur on email, and that's the nature of modern life, that we should have access to those as the public or inquiries is a very fraught and difficult area, and most politicians are going to want to preserve, uh, preserve a degree of secrecy mm. that Hillary Clinton... She's in sort of in some ways a testing case for what... We'll be, we'll be talking about emails for the next 10 or more years in politics until t some new thing comes up um, that circumvents wasting our time on emails. Yeah, some of the uh, some people were saying in the aftermath of the WikiLeaks dumps in the early 2010s that uh, this would mean that public servants and politicians would be less transparent, that they would actually write things down and put them in uh, you know, closets and, 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 uh, and not to actually put them in emails so they mm. could easily be found. And, and I think Dick Cheney... Uh, uh, Brendan, didn't he say something about never putting anything in writing because he didn't want to have a paper trail? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, a lot of the Bush administration had this view. Mm. I, mean, the, I mean, one of the other things is how technologically incompetent a lot of these people are. One of the reasons Hillary Clinton wanted her own private server is she wanted to access her email on BlackBerry. She'd never been used to using uh, email on a PC. And so they had to teach her how to use... This, we're talking 2009 here. So these people live very different lives yeah. to most of us. And they want the convenience of being able to see it on a handheld device, but that's very tricky encryption-wise, and it certainly was in 2009. But let me run this by you. This is from the Wall Street Journal editorial page this week. Mrs. Clinton has herself to blame for this fiasco. Nobody forced her to use a private server, ignore warnings about classified material, and then stonewall when her conduct was exposed to voters. Then they referred to some WikiLeaks emails from John Podesta saying, quote, do we actually know who told Hillary she could use a private email? And has that person been drawn and courted? Like the whole thing is effing insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in retrospect, it looks a ridiculous decision, but... If you look at Condoleezza Rice as Secretary of State or Colin Powell, the, the protocols are pretty poor and the, and the 
I mean, the sense of where we've got to now with how often these things are hacked into and the level of encryption secrecy or the, the high quality of those systems that are acquired uh, has changed a lot. And we might want to sort of take this into account as well. We're talking a lot about how she should have used the Secretary of State or the State Department server, clearly. But that's been hacked into. Uh, that's been very easily accessed by uh, Bradley Manning, um, by Edward Snowden. So that system is not an infallible system at either. So there's, I, I don't think there's any mm-hmm. sense of, look, there's this pristine system that protects the US government entirely, and there's this home-baked system of hers um, which was, you know, porous and, and led to lots and lots of leaks. The whole use of government, you know, email has been pretty faulty uh, in the last 10 what years. About, what about deleting 33,000 emails? Doesn't that send a signal that she's sort of very secretive and trying to hide something? All politicians do that type of thing. I mean, if you look at how much classified information the Bush administration, the Obama administration is just wiped from the public record. I mean, people who do diplomatic history are constantly writing about this, saying, look, um, how do we write future histories Mm -hmm. when the level of secrecy is just so much greater than it was, say, in the 1960s? Now, the Clinton Foundation has been accused in the past of providing a front for money to be channeled into Clinton's commercial interests. Is there a danger that the foundation gets dragged into the FBI investigation? That's the poison. That's the thing that, you know, would be the smoking gun. And the, the, the really interesting part of this story is that it's not going to be over next Tuesday. Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, I think, in America next Tuesday, maybe by a smaller margin. But the inquiries start on January 21 um, into the Clinton Foundation because there is the sense that people... Uh, had a pay-to-play, that they gave money to the Clinton Foundation because they wanted access to Hillary Clinton at the State Department. And why else do people give money? Uh, They don't give it out of the kindness of their heart quite often. They give it because they want to have access to important players in politics. You look at the Clinton career going back to Arkansas, they didn't have a lot of money. Tyson Foods became a big supporter of the Clinton campaign early on. Huge chicken producer, the biggest in the United States. When Bill Clinton was president, he pushed for deals for frozen chickens uh, to be sold in Russia. There's a famous headline, chickens, not Chechnyans, uh, on a visit to uh, Russia. What did he talk about? Frozen chooks rather than human rights abuses in Grozny. So... This is, this is the nature of American politics, and a big sort of part of this whole story that's going on is that if you've been a politician for a long time, and particularly an elected politician, you're going to have a lot of favours to call people calling you back for, and Hillary Clinton is incredibly compromised in that regard, and all long-standing American politicians without huge private funds are. If you went back 30 years ago, the question would be, is Hillary going to be a Coke president or a Pepsi president? I mean, money has been driving this for a long time. Yes, indeed. And I think these accusations of um, influence peddling of a senior figure in the Clinton Foundation, they may well intensify. And Brendan, I've been struck. um, Is it odd that Hillary Clinton hasn't made it clear that she would distance herself from the Clinton Foundation if she does become president? Uh, She has done some of that. Really? Because at this stage, Chelsea Clinton will be the head of it. I think there's some want to, I've heard, I've read, uh, some want to really pull back on the Clinton Foundation, and I think there would uh, be really a case to put the Clinton Foundation into sort of mothballs or very specific Hmm. types of projects that uh, 
had very little to do with government but were funding. These, were these questions that we were talking about raising now, were they raised about uh, this during the her period as Secretary of State? I don't really recall it. No, because I think it was a sense that, well, look, her husband is doing something uh, reasonably good for the world and the planet. Mm, um, mm, mm. You know, compare the, Trump, the Clinton Foundation to the Trump Foundation. It still is, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a charitable organization that sure. gives get raised a lot of money and gives money away. Now, all of its projects probably aren't great, um, but, it, you know, there was a good line of Hillary Clinton's that the Clinton Foundation weren't sort of paying for portraits of, uh, you know, the leading members of the foundation uh, as the Trump Foundation was apparently paid for this large portrait of Donald Trump. Now, Tom mentioned earlier the Washington Post-ABC News poll, which basically shows that both candidates are tied at the moment. The stat that really grabbed my eye, though, was uh, that Hillary has had a, a big slump in the enthusiasm mm. vote. Now, mm. it's she's trailing 10%, 43 to 53. Yeah. Um, in a country where voting is not compulsory... Yeah. How big a deal is the fact that she is losing enthusiasm at this level? She's got a motivated base, simple as that. I mean, one of the reasons why Obama did so well in 2008 and 2012 is that he had the Obama coalition really pumped up and enthusiastic. Mm. Now, Trump does have a base of uh, primarily angry white men, and they're all energized and uh, enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to die in a ditch for their man. Uh, Hillary Clinton's base is a bit more complicated. You know, if you think about a lot of those Bernie Sanders supporters, many of them yep. are sceptical about Hillary Clinton. Yep. And I think the WikiLeaks dumps over the last few weeks might reinforce those doubts. Hmm. I mean, in 2012, at this stage, uh, Obama and Romney were both in the low 60s. So it's not. So Trump's figure is not that flash either. But no, Hillary's, that's true. Hillary's is yes, quite low. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, 20 points behind Obama's. The yep. alternate view is there was a bit of complacency in the Clinton camp. Uh, there's certainly not going to be any complacency now. The ground game of driving out everyone to vote um, with someone ringing them up, mm. sending them texts, apps that are <laughs> designed for voting being an overdrive. So I think there will be, I mean, that's where the money yeah. of American politics is always counted. And it's widely the, believed that the Clinton ground game is much better than the Trump ground game, correct? Indeed. So much more money. I mean, mm. the candidate with the most money has generally always won. Uh, because they can resource uh, this get-out-to-vote effort. And so that we don't see that as much in the polls. Uh, early voting suggests that African-American voting is a bit down compared to the Obama years, uh, say in a state like North Carolina where Hillary Clinton looks pretty strong. Uh, early voting by African-Americans is down. Uh, Hispanic voting a little up in places. So that she, you know, she has plenty of reasons to be nervous uh, about turnout, but we've got to keep coming back to is this gender gap going to be, you know, the thing that gets her over the line? Women are going to not forget about uh, those comments that Donald Trump has made throughout the campaign and that famous Access Hollywood videotape. Mm. So I, um, I still think the demographics are on her side, but in a suppressed turnout, mm-hmm. uh, Trump can win this. You're listening to The Race to the White House on Tour CR 107.3. To download this podcast, head to theconversation.com or your favourite podcasting app and look for The Race to the White House. I'm here with Brendan O'Connor and Tom Switzer. We've been discussing the latest news on Hillary Clinton and the restarting of the FBI's investigation into her private email server. Let's turn to what a Clinton presidency may look like and what it will mean for America and the world. After eight years of Obama, what can America expect from Hillary? Well, opinion varies. My own view is that Hillary Clinton represents the more 
hawkish, interventionist, idealistic school of thought Mm -hmm. uh, within the Democratic Party. She's very much in the tradition of Harry Truman, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Scoop Jackson, Joe Lieberman. And I suspect that she would, uh, given her past statements about American power, uh, about American exceptionalism, uh, she will believe that America uh, has a right and duty to uh, help promote leadership across the globe. Uh, So to the extent that that is true... That pretty much fits in with the views of, uh, of both parties in Canberra, although I will argue that if she becomes more assertive in places like Syria, she does support a no-fly zone, that's perilous. That's perilous policy. I mean, she's basically supporting the idea of American airplanes shooting Russian airplanes. And remember, the Russians dominate the skies in Western Syria, particularly in Aleppo. That would mean possibility of a, of a war. I don't know if that's a good thing for uh, or an outbreak of a war between two major nuclear powers. And on the South China Sea, she, I suspect, is more likely to support the idea of freedom of navigation patrols through that 12 nautical mile zone. Uh, I don't think there's really an appetite for that in Canberra. So intriguingly, although she's very internationalist and interventionist on foreign policy, uh, that could create problems in Canberra. She has to have learnt a little bit from her previous mistakes. I mean, she was a big supporter of the Iraq war. She was uh, very keen on getting rid of Colonel Gaddafi in Libya. She has to, there have to be people saying, look, these things didn't work out well. Interventions probably it really if ever do um she will i think be drawn to want to play to her strong suit having been secretary of state and use presidential power in the way that tom is suggesting i mean names i'd add to the list would be uh richard holbrook and madeline albright both Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. pro-interventionists both believers in this idea of humanitarian interventionism um who can't look at the Syrian situation, if it's over 400,000 people have been killed, and say, look, surely uh, a coalition of nations or even the United States should be doing more. But she needs, on a lot of fronts, uh, people to be very frank with her and say, you need to change your attitude to secrecy, and you need to have a second look at this idea that interventions actually produce something of benefit for the country itself. Um, and then think about the cost of the United States. So she um, she will be drawn to think a lot about foreign policy because it's going to be a lot easier for her to be an actor on the foreign policy front than it is domestically if the Republicans control the Congress and there's this series of inquiries about the Clinton Foundation, the emails, Benghazi, uh, that are... Uh, that she's having to deal with on a domestic that will halt her domestic program pretty effectively. Now, Obama's clearly tried to reduce America's presence in the Middle East and pivot to Asia. Look, an unkind observer would say it's been a failure, and a kind one would say it's a work in progress. Is Hillary going to continue the Asia pivot? I think it's been a prudent policy. I mean, he hasn't, you know, he, can't, he doesn't control the world he inherited, and he has, I think, shown a willingness to try to improve relations with Iran. That's, that certainly is a work in progress, but I don't think the previous order of, of trying to isolate Iran as much as possible was working. How the United States relationship with Saudi Arabia goes probably isn't one of the great successes of the Obama presidency if you look at Yemen at the moment. But he, as I think, wanted to show, I think, a a great deal of resistance from just diving into situations and rightly sees the Asia-Pacific and China particularly as the centre of world power. I mean, the Middle East is is a swamp in some regards for for American interests. So 
He's tried on that front. Um, whether he could have done more to turn America's attention to the Asia-Pacific is hard to know. I mean, one of my concerns is when attention is turned to an area of foreign policy, you get these hyperbolic debates about what kind of threat China is. And so therefore, maybe quietly, quietly leads to more sane policy. Yeah, I think Obama has tried to redefine the American role in the world in a way that reflects America's changing circumstances and more limited resources in the post 9-11 era. And I think, although they express themselves in different ways, Trump, Sanders and Obama have more in common on this issue than, they, than say, George W. Bush and Hillary Clinton. I know these distinctions are very... Um, it's simplistic to make these kind of distinctions. But nevertheless, I think there is some truth to the idea that both Obama and Trump and Sanders feel that the United States for too long has been overextended. And um, if you look at all the available public opinion polling, the American people are tired of the world. They're suffering from foreign policy fatigue. Now, uh, during the primary campaign, Bernie Sanders pushed Hillary to the left on a number of issues. Once in office, will we see any changes to her domestic program? What Hillary Clinton's views are on domestic politics, I think, is is a point of serious debate. I mean, if you look at her record in its entirety as someone who had an ability to influence politics from Arkansas onwards, really, when she was first Lady of Arkansas, through the period of the Clinton presidency, she has clearly got a record as a, as a strong advocate for uh, children's rights, for health care reform in the United States, um, for a whole range of issues to do with helping people who are underprivileged in lots of ways. Her husband had a record of being a centrist, as being part of the Democratic Leadership Council, as trying to sort of split the difference between liberalism and conservatism in the United States. And so he had this reputation that was somewhat different to hers, even through the 90s. Whether she became over time um, more uh, centrist because of the nature of Washington politics, I don't think we we have a clear answer to that. Was that circumstantial, that that's all Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton could do in the 1990s? So I think... There is, you know, there is some grounds to think Hillary Clinton, um, you know, is is closer to those kind of uh, liberals that Tom talked about, LBJ and the older school of American liberalism, rather than kind of Bill Clinton's uh, third way politics that we saw in the 1990s, and that she is uh, a serious social reformer, and she put out that idea of free education uh, at university levels for families earning under $125,000 in the debates. Uh, that, you know, that was one of those things in the debates that made them worthwhile having. Um, that, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a bit of policy amongst all of the, mm. the melodrama. Especially um, on the Democrats side. Yeah, the Democrats will take that up and mm. that they'll, they'll see that as seri- a serious thing. So do you think the centre of political gravity in the Democratic Party has shifted in a more progressive liberal direction in the last few years? Totally. I mean, totally. And I think the the attitude of the country has Mm -hmm. moved against uh, the kinds of supply-side economics Mm -hmm. that we saw Mm -hmm. in the 1980s and maybe continued beyond that. That's the point about Trump, too, because he's not really a conservative, is he? I think there's a bit more of an appetite Mm -hmm. for taxing the rich more, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. the idea Mm -hmm. that the top 1% or 10% have got most of the benefits from the recovery since 2009. Uh, I think that's a widespread view, and I think a lot of Republicans who will face the question, I'd say, after the election of how do we win the Oval Office, will probably face up to the fact that if they're promising tax cuts constantly for the wealthy, that's not a popular policy anymore. So I think there's a bit more of an appetite for what we'd call social democratic policies 
uh, in other countries. And we don't tend to see that in America. But I think the polling, the sense of frustration that nothing ever changes um, means that that's where the Democrats will lurch to that more social democratic side. And the Republicans, you know, have lurched with Trump to that more populist kind of right wing side of saying, look, um, you know, more things are up for grabs. Look, one aspect of the Obama presidency that uh, I think is noteworthy is the complete lack of scandal in eight years in office. If Hillary wins, she'll be sworn in almost certainly with an FBI investigation hanging over her head. How much will this shape her, the first stage of her presidency? An enormous amount. I mean, I'd just quickly say that Obama had done very little. I mean, one of the reasons he didn't have come to office with many scandals is his sense of what has this guy ever done legislatively? I mean, where has he spilt some blood uh, in terms of domestic policy? And the Senate, he was there for five minutes and he was running for the presidency. And at the time, I actually thought this was a good thing because he didn't have the usual... um, kind of hangers-on who were going to create problems to him that had helped him rise. He was, in some ways, he was free of all of that uh, insider politics that comes with being a senator for many, many years. But, it, you know, it, he, he's, he's a guy that's ethics seem, uh, seem very, uh, very good, but it's also the nature of his political career as a meteoric rise uh, in a very unusual career. It's now time for our gut call. With a week to go. If the election was held today (laughs) and the US went to the polls, who would America choose for the next four years? Tom. Uh, I've been consistently saying Hillary Clinton since April of last year, and I see no reason why uh, the electoral map will be easier for Donald Trump. Brendan? Yeah, I think I've been consistently saying Hillary Clinton for about two years or longer. Mm. Um, so I look very foolish if Trump wins, but I also... No, we won't uh, be alone, mate. <laughs> we won't be alone. <laughs> I'll also be extremely depressed as well. Um, so the prospects of a Trump presidency are, are frightening. Um, he is, I think, entirely unsuitable for office. Uh, these scandals with Hillary Clinton show poor judgment, but they're of a different order. There's not an equivalence of, you know, defrauding people with a fake university or the way Trump has carried on during know, this but doesn't campaign. But doesn't the fact that Trump may well win, what does that tell you about the state of America today? It's an indictment, frankly, it is on indi- both sides of politics. It tells you how desperate people are. Mm. And that's that's the deepest story that we've got to spend mm. a lot of time analysing, those of us who try to write on this afterwards, to say, how did the American people get that fed up yeah. with conventional politics mm. that they're willing to turn to someone who you know, is pretty unstable, is likely, who knows what he's likely to do. Is he Mm. likely to get angry and get himself into a, you know, a conflict that escalates out of hand? So I still think the polls will suggest that Hillary Clinton will get over the line. It's going to be a bit tighter. But the road, the the, the electoral college path for Trump is still pretty difficult. Mm. If he can't win Florida, I think that's what we'll be watching next Tuesday. If he can't win Florida, I think it'll be all over. Um, and even if he wins Florida, he can still lose. Oh, yes, he can win Florida and Ohio and still lose. So it's, it's, it's very tough. The maths, the demographics that we've been talking about all year on the show mm, mm, and mm. elsewhere are very tough for Trump. And I think operationally, Hillary Clinton's mm. money will, will win out. But Trump has defied the rules of mm-hmm. conventional rules mm. all year long. Mm. So my instincts are to look at history and say, look, what, what's the pattern of, uh, you know, ground game, demographics. But Trump has been able to upend that. So we may, you know, it forces it's forced us all year long to say, what is a Republican voter? They seem a bit different to what we once thought they were. 
Let me ask a harder question. Will the Democrats get the Senate back? That's a very good question. I think two weeks ago, the answer was yes. Now, not so sure. The Democrats need four senators, to four Senate seats to win back control of the Senate. And uh, everything I'm hearing is that Trump, as the candidate, is not hurting the down ticket today the way it was, say, three weeks ago. Yes, there does seem to be a pattern of when the polls are larger the gap, the likelihood of uh, taking the Senate was much higher for the Democrats as the polls have narrowed. If you look at the state-by-state contest, there's still some really tight fights going on. I think nine of them and only one of them is a Democrat. Yeah, there's some tight fights going on. So, they're, you know, it's not a done deal. These are, these are big personalities, people like Russ Feingold running in the Wisconsin race. There's, you know, well-known uh, long-standing politicians in, in a number of states, Marco Rubio in Florida. So, it's, um, it's a, you know, it's not just all about the momentum. People will vote, I think, a little bit more in uh, complicated ways than in previous years. We've been used to sort of uh, party line voting a bit more like in Australia, where I think there will be a little bit more of, well, maybe I can't stomach Trump, but I'm certainly going to vote for the Republican on the Senate ticket. Polls only forecast what the polls are telling us about November 8 today. Each week we've been looking at Nate Silver's election forecast website to get a feel for the week's movements. So who will win? Hillary is sitting on a very comfortable but shrinking 71%. It's down 13.5% in a week. And Trump is now on 29%, up 15% from last week's figure of 14. So it's doubled in a week. So he still has a chance of winning on November 8, but it's looking pretty slim. And the bookies are only giving him $5. That brings us to the close to the eighth episode of The Race to the White House. If you'd like to hear more from us, head to the Conversation website, conversation.com. You can also reach us in your favourite podcasting app. Podcast is made by Tourist 107.3 FM with the support of the United States Study Centre at the University of Sydney and The Conversation. Thanks to Brendan O'Connor and Tom Switzer. We'll be back next week to cover who will be the President of the United States and who will be writing a book and going on the speaking circuit. I'm Anthony Dockwell. (laughs) Thanks for your company. Thanks, Anthony. Great.